0: Okay, so to this morning, I have a message to preach to you. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, the Lord that has to help me. Okay, but uh, if you're here today, hallelujah. If you're on live stream, hallelujah. Uh, if, if you know everything that I'm going to say, and some of you may, but uh, you're going to hear it so that you could tell somebody else. All right, now, I, let me just preface this by saying Nothing I'm going to say is personal to anybody. It's to everybody in general. Uh, it's to me too. The Word of God sometimes, as it says, cuts. But it's nothing personal, believe me. I, I just want to remind myself and remind you that one day, as a pastor, I have to stand before Almighty God and give an account for how I've done that's that kind of every now and then I get like, oh Lord, really, and it makes me kind of think, uh, am I too soft sometimes? Pamela used to tell me I was too soft years ago. I haven't heard it lately, so maybe I'm doing better. I don't know, but some things by by nature, I, you know, I kind of like, uh, I, I do it, but I don't want to, and I trust God with it. Now you're all wondering, what in the world is he going to talk about? Well, take your Bible, first of all. Uh, we are in the next section of our verse-by-verse study in Colossians chapter 3. We're, we're in verses uh, verses 18 to 21 today. Uh, prior to this, uh, the last time, which was January 1st, I shared a message that was entitled, New Life for the New Year, or New Life in the New Year. Which was based on those verses uh, uh, 12 to 17. And if you remember that message, there were three points, that which is our theme for this year, kind of. Like we will be Christ-centered, we will be word-bound, and we will be action-oriented. And those scriptures, uh, uh, verses uh, 12 to 17, are the common way that churches should function with a lot of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and rapport. We're, we're trying to be Christ-like. Now, there's a whole nother set of, uh, scriptures regarding problem people or problem or doctrinal issues in the church, which we didn't address and we're not going to address, but this is like common, like common, uh, lifestyle for the Christian. But now we're going into verses 12. Just look at this really quickly, and you'll see why I'm feeling maybe a little bit like I am. But verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, there's four words that stand out. Wives, husband, children, and fathers. So that that causes me to think, Lord, why do I have to be right here at this point in time to preach on this? But the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, you have got to preach the word of God. So at, at face value, let me just say this, and then I'm going to pray in just a second, but wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives and so don't be bitter toward them. That, that needs a little explanation, if you ask me. Husbands, love your wives and don't, it doesn't match. Why would you love and, be, I, children obey your parents. Fathers in particular, dads, don't provoke your kids. Don't push their buttons. Let's pray. Father, Lord, God, I need your help. We need your help. Lord, we live in a day when, when these verses and this topic of family and marriage is just, a biblical concept is almost uh, almost passe, culturally. May it never be passe in the church. Father, send your Holy Spirit now to, to anoint me, to preach the word of God. And, and that the word of God would be received and applied no matter what station in life we're at right now. What we've been through, what we're going through, what lies ahead. Lord, let this be, let this be food for our soul and ammunition for our spirit to be strong men and women of God. Lord, we need you. We need you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I want to talk about the second most important decision that you will ever make in your lives. Uh, The first, the most important decision is our decision to accept Jesus or not. That's the most important decision we'll ever make in our lives because that will affect everything that we do henceforth. But the second most important thing that we make, that we decide in life, it's not our vocation, although that's important. It's not what college we go to or what vocational training we get, although that's important too. It's not whether we serve in the military or not. It's not about buying a new home or a new car. The second most important decision we'll we'll ever make is who we will marry. Can I get a little amen? Amen. Who we will marry. Now, Now I had this passage of Scripture on my mind all week. And as is my custom, I I look for sermons, you know, just for my own benefit. Well, I I happened upon a sermon that was entitled, "How How to Determine Who to Marry, by Reverend John K. Jenkins, who pastors a mega Baptist church in Maryland. And I listened to that message. I recommend it, by the way. I laughed. It was a hilarious message, but very powerful. But I thought that what he said has to do with verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Because these verses are are centered upon a marital relationship. Now with that, let me say a couple of things before we get into this. The first thing is that we have to recognize not everyone in Christianity is going to get married. So these verses are what I would call selective verses for married people. They have a selective audience. In fact, singleness, according to one Corinthians seven, is a gift from God. Did you know that? So you know that's something to think about. Being single, maybe in your world or my world or, or our world, is maybe looked at at a certain way. But biblically, it's a gift from God, so that you can do more things for the kingdom of God. But but let me say today, many Christians will be married and divorced and may be remarried and may be divorced and remarried again. That, that happens in Christendom. Do you know that? And today, there are many, many Christians that are single parents. Or maybe it's a husband and wife team that are, that are, that are raising a blended family. It complicates the issue. You see what I'm talking about? Not to mention uh, for the seniors uh, in, in, in the church or on live stream or in the world. You know, seniors are not, uh, seniors are basically fascinated by the internet. And the dating world has found them. Oh, come on. So many seniors, they may not get out a lot, but you know what, they're online a lot. And they're looking for love, sometimes in all the wrong places, but it's happening. Hello? You see why I said what I said before? It, 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 it's an issue. <laughs> Thank you. So, so before, before we get into this, I want to go verse by verse. But I want to tell you what Pastor Jenkins had to say. I'm going to give you in five minutes what he took 45 minutes to say. You know how preachers are. (laughs) But I have another message to preach after these five five minutes. But let me tell you what he said. This is how to determine who to marry. Because that affects this. I felt like I couldn't address... Wives, husbands, kids, and dads until I addressed marriage. And it just so happened that the Lord put that message on my heart during the week. I, I just kind of found it by accident, but I don't think it was an accident. Here 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 are the five things that he said. He had five points. The first point he said was you have to know the person's spiritual status, whether they're saved or not. That's number one. Now he got into this. Now if they're not saved, you know what you really should do? Adios, amigos. See you later. Uh, or if they're saved, what do you mean? Do you have a church? Do you have a pastor? Do you go to Bible study? Are you pursuing God? And, and if someone says, like, like, uh, like uh, this has happened to me, actually. Well, uh, okay. Like someone may say to me, this is years and years and years ago. It's nothing now. Pastor, I met somebody. Are they saved? I don't know. That's the wrong answer. (laughs) That's something you have to know. Because if if you don't know, that's telling me you haven't crossed the most important decision, the second most important decision you're going to make in your life is who who, who you spend your time with. So if if you don't know, that's an issue. Now one time a, a woman had told me, so excited, Pastor, I met somebody. I said, great, I'm happy for you. Are they saved? Oh, no, no. no. I said, no? I said, I don't know about that. Her countenance fell. And ever since that day, she wasn't my friend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It was a tough relationship. That was all downhill after that. So know, know the person's spiritual status. Number two is this. Get your parents' blessing. Now, this has to do with, of course, younger people. But you know what? People are getting married at age 35, 40, 45, and parents are still alive. And it's still important to get your parents' blessing. Because, you see, parents are older, wiser, more in tune. They may see things that, you know, you don't see. Um, I would throw in my two cents here. If you don't have your parents around, have your pastor or or some spiritual person in your life to kind of confirm that this is a good thing. Get your parents uh, blessing. Not only their consent. But get their blessing. Like yes. Not just okay. But you know get their, their blessing. Number three is this. You, you really have to hear God's voice. Regarding your not audibly. Maybe audibly. But you have to know in your heart of hearts. That this is the right man or the right woman. For your life. Now let me just reiterate. Why, why is that important? Because this is a forever decision. Whatever I do premarital counseling, I always tell everybody, this is a one-time decision. You don't come into this with some prenuptial agreement, like in two years, if it doesn't work out. No, no, we don't do that. See, your vow before God, before the minister, before your family and your friends, is kind of like written down in glory. Like your name, is like it's there. It's not going to go away. So you need to hear from God before you even get married in the first place. There's no turning back. There's no like in two years saying, oops, I made a mistake. No, that doesn't work in this. Uh, we have vows, you know, till death do us part. Wow. Uh, in sickness and in health. Wow. Whether good times or bad times, for better, for worse. You have to hear from God. Because when you make that commitment, it's written down. Myron and Vickiana, you had a great wedding a few weeks ago. Praise the Lord. We had those vows and you did, you did good. Here, here's another thing. Number four is this. The, the, you, you need to know the previous marital status of the person. You, you'd be surprised how many things come out after the fact. Oh, well, you were married before? Oh, well, you were living with somebody before, and somebody else before? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, because, see, when that happens, even if there wasn't a marriage, if there's just an emotional entanglement, that affects the person. They bring that into the new marriage, you know. Not that that's a reason not to, but it's, it's something to talk about. It's something to work through, because guaranteed, sooner or later, that stuff is going to come out. And you may be the, the one who receives a lot of angst that shouldn't be directed towards you, but because of the situation, you're receiving it. So it gets complicated, the baggage we bring into this. Number five, uh, he he called this this, the C words. He had all these words that started with C, not to base who you marry on. So the first word was cars. Just because they have a fancy car means absolutely nothing. I'm just going to tell you what he said, okay? Okay. He said, you don't get married for the curves. He said it. I'm just repeating what he said. He had motions which I won't go into. You don't get married for the curves. Curves go away. <laughs> <You don't>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. God bless you. You don't get married for the cash. You get married for a godly character. You get married with someone that has the ability to communicate. You know, not too much and not too little. Well, I'll just leave it at that. You you marry someone that could manage their cash. Some people find out later after they get married, you have children? You have a son that's 15 already? Why didn't you tell me three years ago? Well, I'd never see you. Yeah, but it's your life history. And then he said, he ended it with this, and the house just had an uproarious laughter. But he said something to the effect that someone's got to cook and someone's got to clean. He talked about that. The way you are before you're married is probably the way you're going to be after you get married. So the person you marry will bring all of this stuff into the marriage. Wow. So premarital counseling is important. Marital counseling is important. But considering these verses 18 to 21, uh, I think it would be prudent to say to the church... Uh, regarding these kind of these relationships, don't get in over your head before you're married. Um, save yourself sexually. I, I, I would, you, you know, this phrase, uh, secondary uh, virginity, where you've lost your virginity already, but from now on, you could you could practice secondary virginity. And don't live together before you're married. Uh, don't get involved like that. Uh, the, the pastor Jenkins said, he said, you know what? Immorality clouds your judgment. I like that. Because when you're involved immorally with someone before you're married, you don't see the cocaine problem they have. Or the money problem, they, or the lying they do. Because you're involved, and you're entangled emotionally and sexually. You don't see those other things. Don't live together before marriage. It's too tempting, too complicated, and too worldly. We're supposed to be different than the world, right? So let's just say it like it is. You know, we shouldn't do that. All right, so let's go over these verses, uh, verse by verse, and then I have a couple of points to share with you. With me, church? Okay, verse number 18, it says, Wives, now again, this is the assumption that there's a marriage. He doesn't say, uh, girlfriend. Living companion, lover, guest. He says wives. He just puts it out there. Wives. Uh you're 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 helping. This is someone who's already been vetted. Oh, they're already in a committed relationship. You know, they're approved, the parents bless it, the pastor bless it, the church blessed. they they're they're like anointed to be together. It's not like a fly by night thing, but but wives who are committed in this, it says, it says submit. Everyone say the word. It's not a bad word. I think our understanding of it is probably not right, though. A lot of us think that means like uh, lording it over somebody. And, you know, that's not what it means. In the Greek, it means to place in an orderly fashion. Or to fit in as to make something work well together. I, I compare it to a, like an old uh, grandfather clock or a, an old wrist watch. that has a bunch of gears in it. Some are bigger, some are smaller, some are faster, some are slower. But they all fit together. So what he's saying, wives, submit. Fit in to this relationship with your husband that you chose. And that's been blessed and ordained. But fit into this relationship so that it works well together. Uh, it, it says, it, notice he says, your own husband. Don't get into someone else's husband, but but submit to your own husband. Everyone has their own deal to go through here. Hello? And then he says, as is fitting. And that, that that's, a, that's like a, an important little phrase. Because if your husband is cheating on you, or abusing you, or something demonic is going on in the relationship, guess what? You don't need to submit to that. You need to get some counseling real quick and get out of danger. That's why it says, as is fitting. But we won't go there. That's an abnormality. Normally, it would be fine. Uh, Submitting to your husband, meaning it's not an abusive situation. It's not restrictive. In fact, it's liberating. It's life-giving. It's healthy. It's positive to do that. He's got his responsibility too, so hang on. Ephesians 5.21, this is interesting. I find this interesting. Ephesians 5 talks about the husband and wife relationship as it is a a representation of Christ loving the church and the church loving Christ. right? But in in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, look, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we submit to one another. Whether you're married or not. Uh, Pamela and I are brother and sister in Christ first. But then he says in, in the next verse, he says, But wives, submit to your own husband uh, as to the Lord. Wow. So the wife has to submit, have to, has to fit in the way she would have to fit in with her relationship with the Lord, which is lovingly, faithfully, diligently, trustworthy. It does not make the wife less than the husband, nor greater than the husband. It makes the wife equal to the husband. With a different role to play, it's God's design. I thought about this. You know, this weekend the NFL started their playoffs. Great games last night, by the way. One of the, the Christian quarterbacks from Jacksonville won the game in the last second. It was an amazing game, but praise God for that. But anyway, they're all, they're all going for the Super Bowl ring. But you know what? The All Star quarterback gets a ring. At the, at the, they say they win the whole thing. But the, the guy who who Holds the football down, and the guy kicks it. He may get in the game four or five times, maybe. He gets the same ring as the other guy that killed himself the whole game. It's the same thing. They fit together as a team. A husband and a wife fit together as a team. Okay, now, let me, verse number 19. Husbands, again, assuming, we're talking in marriage. We're talking about blessing. We're talking about... Probably premarital counseling and anointing by the family and the pastor. Everyone agrees this is a good, healthy thing. Husbands, uh, love your wives. And don't be bitter. We have to talk about that. That just me why that's in there. But, okay, I, I think I get it. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, guess what? As Christ loved the church. Now, Listen. Most wives would love to be in that arrangement with a husband that loves them the way he, the way Christ loves his church. That's the way the husband's going to love her. Most wives would say, bring it on. I want that. And and so he says, don't be bitter about that. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, look, You're you're called upon to love your your wife the way Jesus loved you. Don't be bitter because Jesus gave a 100% of his life for you. You've got to do that to your wife. Don't be bitter about that. That's God's design. The only way you're going to really be happy, brother, husband, is by giving a 100% of your life to your wife. The way Christ loved you, you love her. Then you're going to be happy. You won't be happy until that happens. You'll be in a constant struggle, bitter, angry, whatever. It won't work. But when you give yourself away, you get the blessing back. The sacrificial love is the most fulfilling love there is in the world. You give to, and you get fulfilled. Amen. Amen. You could clap. Verse 20. Kiddos. Obey your parents in all things. The the role of a child is so precious. Now that we're in the grandparenting stage, I'm seeing kids of a whole different viewpoint. <laughs> all that they say about grandparents is absolutely true. And then we say, bye, see you later. <laughs> it's all true, but for the time it's it's blessing. But the role of a child is to learn, to grow, to figure out what's going on. The role of the parent is to teach, assist, guide, correct, protect. The parents uh, have the biggest influence in a child's life. And so he says, children... So it's interesting, he's writing to this church of Colossae, but he's addressing the kids of the church. Kids, like we have our kids on Sunday morning, we would say, kids, obey your parents in all things. Because this... Uh, where am I this is well pleasing to the Lord there's so many scriptures about kids and parents Ephesians 6 1 says children obey your parents for this is right that's what the word of God says Ephesians 6 2 and 3 says honor your father and mother that things may go well with you that's an important scripture in Exodus twenty twelve, the fifth commandment says, "Honor your father and mother, and receive God's blessing that you may live a long life." Wow. Proverbs thirteen one says, um, "A wise son hears his father's instructions; scoffers, a scoffer does not listen to rebuke." So children have a role to play. Parents have a role in addressing them. But verse 21 kind of jumps out because there's a, there's a, like a specific word to the dads. Interesting. It's not to the moms. This is to the dads. So the dad's role is really very, very important. But he says, look, fathers, don't provoke your, your children lest they become dis- can I paraphrase that? Don't push your kids' buttons. Don't aggravate them. Don't do things that you know are going to trigger anger or resentment or a fight. Don't push it like that because they'll get discouraged. You'll never get anywhere raising your son or your daughter that way. Rather, Ephesians 6 4 it says, Fathers, uh, do not provoke your children, but bring them up in the training and, and reproof of the Lord. A father should be like the, the biggest fan of the child. That child should know, Dad loves me. Dad is with me. That child should know that the father will be there through thick and thin. The father should be their biggest fan. And just to end, end this up, for instance, growing up in my, in my youth, I mean, I, I played a lot of sports. I also played a lot of music. Those were my two things. But I'll, I'll guarantee you, there were kids playing football that should have never been on the football field. Their fathers made them play football. They should have been home practicing the cello. They would have been a lot better off, really. And vice versa. You have to figure out what your kids are, you know, interested in, what what their tendencies are, and flow with it, foster that their own development. So let, let's let's kind of tie this up. Uh, uh, Colossians three eighteen to twenty one. So did I tell you the title of the sermon? How to have a godly family. How to have a holy family. Well, he he preached about how to determine who to marry, this is my follow-up, how to have a holy family. You guys glad you came to church today? Good to see you, man. This is good for you to hear, as a matter of fact, right? Take some notes. Tell your mom and dad I said so. All right, so now, now this is going to get a little bit, you know, a little intense maybe. But if you want to have a holy family... You know, we have to dissect the scriptures and apply it to our lives. But I'm going to give you four things to think about. The first thing is this, if you want to have a holy family. Don't pretend that you have a biblical family if you don't have one. I think a lot of Christians pretend. Or they're not seeing clear what's really going on. But I think it's more pretending. Because it looks good, it sounds good. Now, let me say, a biblical family... Would consist of a husband and a wife and kids. That's a, but but again, you may be single with kids, and that's okay. You know what? You know by all records that we have, Joseph died early, and Mary raised those six kids by herself after Joseph died. She was a single mom. Mary was not an unholy person after her husband died. So singleness has a place. We recognize that. But regardless of whether you're married or single, but but don't say it's a biblical family if it's not a biblical family. If it is, say so. What am I talking about? You, You can't have a biblical family if you're living together with the person and not married. That's not a biblical model to follow. And if you're a single person, you don't have a husband or a wife, but you have kids, you can't be sleeping with somebody in their apartment and coming home. That's not a biblical model to follow. You can't pretend that it's something that it's not. I mean, you might fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. God knows exactly what's going on. Mark 10 Verses 6-9 through nine is a, is a, is a, is a, is a uh, rendition of Genesis two twenty four, which says, uh, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. See, marriage is written all over the scripture. And I know in the 1960s, it went right out the window in America and every other place in the world. But the word of God doesn't change. It's the same thing now as it was back then. Marriage is important. So you might say, well, okay, but I, I, I'm beyond that. I'm single with kids. Well, you know what? Live a biblical modeled life in your condition that you're in. Live a holy, single life and trust God. Face the reality. Call it what it is. But you can't live in both worlds and be happy. You will be miserable one way or the other. You'd be better off going one way or the other, but you'd be better off giving it to God, living a single life, a holy life to God, and see what God will do. Hello? So, don't pretend. Oh, I hear it all the time. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How you really doing? Oh, well... (laughs) It happens all the time. We, we always put up the good front. We do. We're all guilty. But don't pretend. Okay, here's number two. How to have a holy family. Determine in your heart and soul that you will have one marriage with one mate for a lifetime. All right, let me, let me, Matthew nineteen six says, Let no man separate what God has joined together. So let, let's talk about that, okay? So if you're married and uh, you're having some marital problems, remember your commitment that you made before God, before the minister, before your family and your friends. You owe it to yourself to work it out to the best of your ability, unless you have biblical grounds to leave it. I always leave that open, but a lot of times it's not there. It's something else. But you have to determine that this, this is a a vow I made to God out of respect for my God. I'm going to stay, stay true to my vow. Now, some of you are going to say, well, it's too late for that. I, I've already been married and divorced and married maybe twice, whatever. I would say to you, start now. Just like there's secondary virginity. I don't know what to call their secondary marriage, I guess. You can start now purposing in your heart right now that if you were to get involved and married with someone, it will be forever from now on. You can't undo the past, obviously, but there's something you can do now. You can determine in your heart to do it the right way right now. <laughs> I want to I feel a little something. I don't know what, but... Shall I continue? There's two more. All right. All right. I'm going to call. Number three, put and keep God in your marriage. You might say it's too late for that. I'm going to say it's never too late for that. You've been married 10 years. You've been on a roller coaster. Do it now. Start today. Put God first in your marriage and keep God first in your marriage. Ecclesiastes, every wedding I perform, I say this scripture. I go through the whole thing. Two are better than one. Blah 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 blah. But Ecclesiastes four twelve. But a threefold cord is not easily broken. What what, everyone? What's the third? What's that? The husband, the wife, and Jesus. It's not easily broken when Christ is in the middle of it. Come on, keep you know put Christ in it, keep God in it, and and trust God with your marriage. Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things you're concerned about will be added to you. See, God must be in your marriage. You must pray together, study the Bible together, go to church together, raise kids in a godly home together, worship the Lord. You know, it's your, it's your, it's your best friend. It's your comrade. It's your, I don't know, it's your, it's your soulmate. What better person is there to worship God with? And if you can't, you need some counseling. Because you should. You really should. If you're not married now, start praying that when you are married, you will be able to implement this principle. And right off the bat, go back to what the other pastor said. Is the person saved? And go from there. Okay, number four is this. We're going to wrap this up with this one. If you want to have a holy family, you've got to realize that your greatest ministry is your spouse and your kids. I don't know if you believe that. I know some pastors that don't believe that. But from my experience, it's my wife and my kids. No question about it. That comes first in my life, and I have scripture to back it up. But people will say, oh, no, your first ministry is to the church, or to, uh, to people, or to souls. And my response to that is, my wife and kids, they're people. They got souls, and they're part of the church too. And if I can't deal with them, I have no business dealing with anybody else. So my greatest, our greatest ministry is our spouse and our family. Amen. I had a talk with a couple of pastors a couple of months ago when I said that. They just shook their head. They didn't agree with me. I said, listen, man, your church may disappear. Your family is never going to disappear. Your your credential may get pulled. Your family is not going to get pulled. you're, You're with your family till you die. But hey, 1 Timothy 3, 4 says, A minister... Oh, but I, th- I thought, okay, a minister. But 2 Corinthians 5 talks about we're all ambassadors for Christ. We're all ministers. We're not all pastors, but we're all ministers. So 1 Timothy 3, 4 says, A minister must rule his home well. Because how could he do anything in the church if he can't take care of his home? That tells me, my greatest ministry is my home. Is it going to be perfect? No. But well, that's got to be my greatest ministry. My greatest concern is my family. Then I could do the other thing. It's not pastoring, it's not counseling, it's not street ministry, it's not prison ministry, it's not homeless ministry. It's your family, your spouse and your kids. I have one spouse. I'm ha- so happy to say. I've had one spouse 45 45 years we think. You lose track after a while, but long time. One spouse, listen to this. One spouse Three kids, a son-in-law and daughter-in-law. We have 11 grandkids, but five are through marriage, so we know those complications. And I want you to know, I pray for them every single day. That's my number one thing, that I, ha- I have to pray for them. Uh, th- that's my, that's my goal. That's my legacy. You know, that's my legacy. And, and that, that's, I, I try to speak life into them all the time. And everyone's so different. It's amazing. But, but it's, it's a challenge. But, but the greatest ministry that you have will be your family. No matter what your condition is, divorced or separated or remarried or whatever. I mean, you may be, you may be, uh, how can I say You may be, you may have gotten married and then gotten divorced and now you're married again. But, but the mother of your kids is still in the picture because she has to be, or your father. You have to work that out. That's honorable to work that out. And yet another thing, just I'll throw this in. If you have that arrangement, please don't talk bad about the spouse that you're not married to any longer, the mother of your kids. Don't talk bad about them to your kids. They don't need to hear that. You need to protect them from that. That's probably the number one problem in dysfunctional families is bad-mouthing everybody in front of kids. It's not right. It shouldn't happen that way. Okay, so let me just conclude this how to have a holy family. Uh, make sure you have a biblical family, married or single and, and doing the right things. You know, take care of your salvation. Uh, make sure you, that you determine in your head and your heart that you're going to have one marriage for a lifetime. Right, Pamela? Yes. Absolutely. Every night we go to bed, I kind of I reach over and just make sure she's still there. Yeah, she's still there. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then 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 I wake up in the morning, oh she's still there. All right, good. Another day, boom, okay. Day number 10th, whatever it is. 45 years worth. Anyway, one marriage. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in this, by the way. I mean, I mean, I've never been married before, so I don't really know, but what I've heard when there's all these complications, I think life is hard enough the way it is. I don't know about you. But anyway, it's just wise. To follow, you know, but I know some, some people, uh, you're, in, you're in already and you got saved later. That's a whole other thing. Whew. Put God in it and keep God in it. And I would say specifically to the men, and if you already know this, this you got to tell somebody, tell your kids, tell your grandkids. The man really has more responsibility in the eyes of God. Be a leader in your home the family doesn't go to church, it's going to fall back on the family, on, on the husband. You know, most uh, studies will say, as the father goes, so goes the family. If the father goes to church, guess what? They're all going to go to church. The mother may go to church, but then and it's like, oh, well, daddy's not going, so maybe I don't have to go. But if daddy goes, we're going to church. And the greatest ministry, then, is, is our family. That's the last point. Okay? So, can we stand together? We have verses eight through twenty. Now, now we're going to read verses eight through twenty-one together. Now, when we read it after this sermon, hopefully, it's going to take on a different dimension for you. You can't you can't just read this like, oh yeah, wives, husband, baba. Blah, blah. No, there's so much going into this. So let's read it together, and then we'll close out in prayer. Okay, here we go. Ready, verse eighteen. Wives, sub- Now you don't have to hesitate. It's the Bible. Wives, uh, It's like it hurts, you know. mm, Let's try that again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. There's a whole lot there, church. Well, every head bowed for just a moment, please. I'm just going to ask a few questions give you a chance to respond. You don't even have to raise your hand. Just think about it. But I wonder how many people here really want to have a biblical family. Because it'll it'll cost you. I'll tell you right up front, it'll cost you something. Because you're going to have to stand against the, the tide of our culture, maybe the tide of your family. Your family may not even understand what you're doing. Your friends But a biblical family is the best family. If you're married or single or whatever, living biblically is the best way to go. Having said that, is there anyone here today that needs salvation? I mean genuine salvation. I know this brother came up last week. Thank you for that. I want to talk to you later again. But there may be somebody here that needs salvation today. You'll never have a holy life or a holy family Unless you give your heart to Jesus. And I, I think there's probably some here online, perhaps, but you're in the process of putting your life together. I get that. That's why we're here. That's why the church is here, to help you put your life together. There's nobody casting stones, by the way. Nobody's passing judgment, by the way. Everybody's welcome in this church. I don't care how many times you've been married and divorced. It doesn't matter. What matters is your heart right now, what you want to do right now. But if you want to get your life together, we're here to help you do that. And then finally, I just I want to pray for people to have courage. Because it's going to take courage to live a biblical life. Because you're going against the tide. You're going against the way of the world. You know what I'm talking about. You need courage. You need faith, and you need courage. They go together. So I'm not going to ask anyone to come up or anything. I know this is personal. I know everyone has your own story to tell. I just want to pray. The altars will be open if you want to pray afterwards. Dear Father, I know this is a really an important message. And I, Lord, I'm, I'm pleasantly amazed at, at this verse-by-verse study. Just like two weeks ago... That was a great word for the new year. It was a wonderful word. We just happened to be there. And Lord, today we happen to be here. And uh, for whatever purpose, that's where we are. I think somebody needs to hear this. I think somebody needs to talk about these things. Because marriage and divorce and kids and relationships affect every single one of us. And the church would be amiss if we didn't address it. So, Lord, I just pray for the congregation... I pray for those on the live stream to sense your Holy Spirit who doesn't come to condemn or to judge, but you come to correct us and guide us and you come to fix what's wrong with us. Lord, increase our faith that we'll make those tough decisions. I can't live with you anymore. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And, and let there be a, a, an internal strength that says, I will, I will serve God no matter what it cost me. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do that. Lord, there may be some people here that have a family that just does not see things this way. They may say, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. Everybody's doing it. But Lord, that doesn't make it right. We want to live a biblical life and have a biblical family. So, Father, I just pray for everybody to sense your Holy Spirit. Lord, we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I pray for a baptism in the Holy Spirit. That your presence would come upon us and fill us. That we would be bold witnesses for you, Lord. And we can't be a very bold witness if we're living in sin and embracing sin like it's okay. It's not okay. So, Lord, help us not to pretend. Help us to be crystal clear in our thoughts with you and with others. And may this fellowship, Lord, may this fellowship always be a place of teaching, guidance, counsel, godliness, accepting people, pursuing the greater goal of being who you called us to be. Lord, let us never have a judgmental attitude towards people that would put people down because of their lifestyle. So, Lord, I thank you for the word. I pray that it finds its place in each of our hearts exactly where you want it to go. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And, Lord, I look forward to hearing and seeing some good fruit from the proclamation of your word today. And this we pray, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. All right. James, maybe uh, some soft music. If anyone needs prayer, the altars are open. If you want to have fellowship, go that way. And be respectful of those up here in the front. God bless you. Uh, four o'clock, water baptism. God bless you.